Hello, everyone. Hello, Pastor. Hello. Hello. Even though Corona is kind of terrible, even in New York, we're not allowed to go outside. But actually, I think because of Corona, uh, it's much better because now I can go to India without having to pay for a plane ticket. So it's much cheaper. Just terrible. Last time I went to India, even the Indian airlines canceled my local flight. I went to, I was supposed to go to Mumbai and then fly to somewhere else, but then they just, just got rid of my other ticket. So then I had like a problem. But now I can just, you know, speak to you in India for free. So that's like really good in my heart. I'm really happy about that. So, <clears throat> you know, I guess there's good and bad for everything, right? So today I'm going to read the Bible from the Bible in Mark chapter 5. In Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, I'm going to start reading from verse 25 to verse 34. Mark chapter 5, verses 25 through 34. Okay. <clears throat> okay, so let's read. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years. And has suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in, in the press behind, and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? And the disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitudes wronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. You know, this is a very famous story. Many people know this story, but when you dig deeper, it is an amazing, amazing story about the, the preparation of God. Uh, what I mean is whenever you, you know, as you know, we are preparing for weddings here. We're going to have three weddings in Mahanaim uh, on Sunday. But, you know, right now, all around the world, the weddings are being shut down. If you have a wedding in America, you can get a fine. But only in my and I, we're going to have weddings. So, you know, we're like the happiest people in the world. We can have wedding even during Corona. <clears throat> but, you know, when you go and you look at uh, weddings, you know, you notice that weddings, they decorate the church much better than before, right? They decorate the church usually prettier and more. They bring out all the stuff from the closet that they were hiding. And then they make your decorations really nice. In the same way, you know, you don't even know. Normally, you don't see the church building just decorated or just prepared or just clean. But then when you go into the closet and you pull out all of the decorations, you pull out all of these things, the storage is a different image. In the same way, when we look at the Bible, there is the surface level of looking at the Bible, but then there's also the other level of looking at the Bible. Now, when you go to a wedding, the wedding looks more beautiful, the more preparation that goes into it. The more preparation goes into it means it expresses like how much the people who prepared thought about it. They thought about it and thought about it. You know, if you look at it, <clears throat> there are two kinds. Of, in America, there's a car company. It's German. It's called Mercedes-Benz. You know, I never thought about this, you know, because I never drove a Mercedes-Benz. 
I've been in one before, but I never owned a Mercedes Benz. Uh, yeah, I never made that much money. But the important thing is there's a reason why Mercedes Benz cars are expensive. So once I rode in a Mercedes Benz. Now this Mercedes Benz is very interesting. So when you drive in a car and you go on the highway, and then in America, your speed limit's about 55 to, you know, maybe some places are 70. So 70 miles an hour is about 110 kilometers. So since you're in India, I have to do kilometers, but you probably don't understand 70 miles an hour. So when you drive about 110, 120 kilometers, what happens when you turn the curve? When you turn the curve, you can feel the car pulling you to one side, right? It always like pulls you to one side. So that's how you feel the gravity when you take that curve at, you know, 120 kilometers, 70 miles an hour, you start to feel your body go the opposite direction. Well, the Mercedes Benz, they have what they call oscillating chairs, which means your chair moves. You do not move. The chair moves and rotates so that no matter what curve you're taking, you're always sitting straight. So that kind of car, they put more preparation, more money, more engineering, more calculations. So they put more into the car, so therefore the value is higher. Well, when you read the Bible and you only read the surface level, it doesn't seem like it has much value. But the thing about the Bible is when you start getting deeper to the next layer and deeper into the next layer, then you can see all the preparation that God prepared, and then you will see how much of God's heart he prepared for our salvation. Then it becomes so clear Ah, uh, this is why God included this in the Bible. It is much deeper than just being healed from an issue of blood. So this story to me, when I was able to get a little deeper into this story, the amazing thing is you can see the level of God's thinking when it comes to saving one person. When it comes to our salvation, you can actually feel how much preparation, how much God calculated it how much God poured his heart into being able to save us. So I want to explain this to you through this story. So this woman, I don't know if she was born with, I don't think she's born with this disease, but she's only had this disease for 12 years. So for 12 years, she started to have an issue of blood. Now the issue of blood means like a hemorrhage. That's like when you have bleeding, constant bleeding. But in some places, the issue of blood is like when a woman has a period. When the woman has a period, she bleeds. So at times it says the, hem, the issue of blood can mean many different things. The thing that it talks about is it's constant bleeding, constant bleeding. Now, when it's constant bleeding, she did this for 12 years. And finally, she went to this doctor, that doctor. And then finally, she wasted all of her money and had still did not get better. Now, when I saw this, I was thinking in my heart, this doesn't really fit in the Bible. Now, why would they have a story like this? You know, it doesn't make sense. You know, blind people being healed, that's a spiritual meaning, right? Blind, I cannot see. So now I see, you know, that can be a thing. But an issue of blood, it's kind of like very random when I first thought about this disease. But then when I started thinking about it, I thought about it, like, why did she suffer? You know, actually, when you look at it, of course, when you're sick and you have a disease, there is a certain level of suffering, right? Physical suffering, mental suffering. But then when I was asked this question by one of my church members, she asked me, well, why does it say she suffered? Well, what, why did she suffer? What was her suffering? You know, sometimes as a pastor, you get asked many ridiculous questions. Sometimes they say, well, what did the disciples eat? What did the disciples wear? And I always tell them, look, I'm a pastor. If you want to find out what the disciples wore, you ask them when you die and go to heaven, because I have no idea what they had in their closet. 
So the important thing is sometimes as a pastor, you get asked many different kinds of questions. Well, then this question is about the Bible. So I thought about, you know, I could say, I don't know. If you were bleeding for 12 years, wouldn't you suffer? That's what I initially instinct wanted to say. But I denied my instinct and I started looking into the Bible. And then I found in Leviticus chapter 15. So if you go to the Old Testament, the third book in the Old Testament is Leviticus. So there's Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus. And Leviticus chapter 15. Leviticus chapter 15, we're going to start reading. We're going to read verses 25 through 27. Okay? Leviticus chapter 15, verses 25 through 27. So listen carefully. And if a woman have an issue of her blood many days out of the time of her separation, or if it run beyond the time of her separation, all the days of the issue of her uncleanness shall be as the days of her separation. She shall be unclean. Every bed whereon she lieth, all the days of her issue, shall be unto her as the bed of her separation. And whatsoever she sitteth upon shall be unclean as the uncleanness of her separation. And whosoever touches, toucheth those things shall be unclean and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the even. So this is very interesting. There are 613 laws in the Bible, but for some reason, God included a law regarding a woman who has an issue of blood. God could have included any disease. Oh, if you have cancer, this is a thing. If you have AIDS, this is going to be. But for some reason, God included this law about the woman who's going to have issue of blood 12 years. And the interesting thing is, why would he go through all of this to talk about the woman who has an issue of blood? This woman was suffering physically, but as you know, there are many handicapped people in this world. There are many people who are blind. There are many people who have like, you know, uh, different diseases. You know, even when you think about it, they learn how to live with it. They adjust, right? Some people with no legs, they learn how to walk with crutches. Some people who are crippled, they learn to keep living with the wheelchair. So yes, it's physically uncomfortable, but people adjust. After 12 years, I'm pretty sure, she adjusted. Anyway, she was strong enough to push through a crowd of many, many people just to touch Jesus. So obviously, she is not physically, physically incapable of moving. She's moving around, pushing people out of the way, and then grabbing Jesus' clothes. So physically is not the suffering. The suffering that she was suffering was because according to the law, she is now unclean. Everything she touches is unclean. Every person she touches is unclean. This means for 12 years, she cannot hold her children. 12 years, she cannot hug her mother. 12 years, she cannot touch her husband. 12 years, she cannot be with other people because if she touches them, they become unclean. And another thing is, she cannot enter the temple. She cannot enter into the temple because she is unclean. For 12 years, she has tried to get rid of this disease so that she can become clean. But you know, when you think about it, I thought about it this way. What if God never made this law? It was God who made the law, right? If God made the law, he could have not made this law. There's no law about AIDS. There's no law about cancer in the Old Testament, right? You don't see commandment 644, oh, if thou shalt have cancer, thou shalt be unclean. That's not included in the Bible. So why did God include 
this law about a person who has an issue of blood. If you really think about it, there's no reason to include it. There's no real particular meaning or reason to include this law. But God chose to make this law. And when God chose to make this law, what happened? This woman became unclean. Now, to me, that's very interesting because when I thought about it, if God never made this law, then this woman would have just lived her life with this disease. She would have just lived adjusting, living her daily life like a blind person, learning how to read Braille. You know, a blind person memorizes how many steps it takes from their bathroom to their bedroom. A blind person learns how to cross the street. A blind person, you know, there's ways of adjusting physically. If this woman did not receive the judgment of the law saying that she is unclean, she never, ever needed to meet Jesus. There is no reason for her to look for Jesus. And then she would have nothing to do with Jesus. So when I thought about that, I realized, wow, is this woman unclean because the law exists? Or is this woman become unclean because God made this law for her? When I think about it, there's not many people in the Bible that talks about this disease. And I don't know how many people in the history of the world has had this disease. I've never met a person who had an issue of blood more than one day or two days or five days. Thank God. If my wife had an issue of blood for 12 years, can you imagine that? Every month period for 12 years, I would be divorced by now. But the important thing is, I've never met anybody who has had an issue of blood more than just a couple of days. So when I thought about it, it seems to me, wow, this law was made just for her. This law was made to draw her, to lead her, to pull her, where she has no other choice but to meet Jesus Christ. If she did not receive this law, if she did not get judged by God as unclean, she would never, ever need to meet Jesus Christ. But because of this law, this law condemned her as unclean. So when she heard about Jesus Christ, it was a perfect match. Oh, Jesus came to heal us. Jesus is the son of God. So because she was sick, she needed a physician. That's what the scripture says, right? They that are sick need a physician, not they that are healthy. So this woman, by getting condemned by the law as being unclean, that drew the straight connection between her and Jesus. Now, the beautiful thing about this is, if you also look, not just here. Now, what we read up until 27 is the condemnation part, is the judgment part. If you have an issue of blood, you are unclean. Whatever you touch becomes unclean. Whoever touches what you touch also becomes unclean. But starting from verse 28, there is something different. Okay, we're going to read verse 28. But if she be cleansed of her issue, then she shall number to herself seven days, and after that, she shall be clean. 29. And on the eighth day, she shall take her unto her two turtle doves or two young pigeons and bring them into the priest and to the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the priest shall offer the one for a sin offering and the other for a burnt offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for her before the Lord for the issue of her blood. Everyone. Up until verse 27, it details the condemnation. It details the judgment of God. She is unclean. She is unclean. Whatever you touch is unclean. But starting from verse 28, the law shows us how she can be clean. The law shows us the path where she can be clean. So the beautiful thing is, if you look at God's heart, 
God never ever just gives us the condemnation. God always prepares the way for us to be redeemed. God has already prepared the way for us to become clean. This is always the heart of God. God never, ever, no matter where you read in the Bible, God never ends anything only in bad or negative or cursed. God always has prepared the way to receive the grace of God. God has always prepared the way to take care of this problem. So this woman, who was a normal woman, this woman has nothing to do with Jesus. She never met Jesus before. She don't know who Jesus is. They were not born in the same house. They're not related. This woman would have no other connection to Jesus except one, and that is the law, the condemnation. And because she is condemned as being unclean, now God connected her to the only way that she could be clean, and that is through Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to talk to you about this, and I'll explain it a little bit more. Now, in our mission, there is a very famous story. In our mission, one of the most famous stories in our mission, everybody knows, is Minister John Choi, who was stung by the scorpion. Have you heard this story before? Right. We heard this story so many times, I memorized it. I'm pretty sure all of you memorized it too. There is nobody in Good News Mission who is afraid of scorpions. That's how many times we heard this story. Nobody is afraid of scorpions anymore, right? Because if you get stung by a scorpion, you just call Pastor Park, or you open to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. So nobody in our church is afraid of scorpions, but everyone. God didn't give us this testimony so that we would not be afraid of scorpions. Scorpion is not important. The important thing is, I want to talk to you about this, is that when John Choi was stung by the scorpion, Pastor Okusupart asked to talk to Minister John Choi. And if you listen to the story very carefully, you can see there's something that God wants to show us. Minister John Choi talked to Pastor Okusupart. Pastor Okusupart tells him two things that I want to talk about right now. Two things. The first thing that Pastor Okusupart talked about was, he told him, the doctor says you're going to die. The nurse says you're going to die. You have the poison in your body, and your body does not have the strength to overcome the poison. So everything, everybody, your situation, the doctor, the nurse, everything says that you are going to die. That's the first thing that Pastor Osupart mentioned. Second thing Pastor Osupart mentioned was really graceful, but he says, but John Choi, I am so thankful that I am a pastor. If I were a doctor, I have to travel. I have to be next to you to help you. Because if I'm a doctor, I have to fly in the airplane 17 hours just to get there, and then I can help you. And secondly, even if I'm a doctor, I have to have medicine. But there's no medicine to cure scorpion poison. So there's nothing that I could do if I were a doctor. But thank God I'm a pastor. Why? Because as a pastor, I have the word of God. And the word of God has never lied before. That's the second. Two main things that Pastor Oku talked about when he talked on conversation with Minister John Choi. The first thing I want to talk about is, and so when John Choi heard this conversation, two thoughts popped in his mind. Two. What he said was, he's right. Everybody believes I'm going to die. The doctor believes I'm going to die. The missionary believes I'm going to die. Even the nurse believes I'm going to die. Even myself, I believe I'm going to die. There's only one person, one person who keeps telling me there is a way for me to live. One. 
The only way for John Choi to live right now is to wait upon the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? So basically, the doctor cannot help. The nurse cannot help. He cannot do it. There is literally only one way. And the only one way is that he has to wait upon the Lord. Like he has to believe in the word of God. He has to seek and depend only on the word of God. Everyone, do you know why this is so amazing? John Choi, he cannot go and he cannot, he cannot, he cannot avoid faith. He cannot avoid the work of God. God blocked every other way. There is no exit. Now, you know, when you drive on a road, sometimes there's no exit. If there's no exit on the road, you have to keep driving. There's no way to turn off. You can't turn left and you can't turn right. God blocked every exit so that there's only one left. And that one exit was God. To wait upon the Lord. To trust only in the word of God. Everyone. The most powerful thing that God gave us was the word of God. The most powerful thing in the universe that God could give us is the Word of God. We don't think very highly about the Word of God because it's in a Bible that costs like $12. We have a Bible in our hand that costs like $15, $18. So in our mind, we don't really understand what you are holding in your hand. In your hand is the power of God. God put all of his power, all of his will, all of his wisdom, all of his mercy, all of that is included in the word of God. But simply because we see it in a little book and we leave it on our table, we despise the word of God. But everyone, John Choi's heart, there was no other hope. And John Choi talked about it. That moment, I realized there's only one way to live, and that is to depend upon God. So then he started to pray. He says, God, you told Pastor Park, you never lie. God never lies. So if God never lies, and if I wait upon the Lord, you promise me that you shall renew my strength. So everyone, this is very important, okay? If you believe, there's only one qualification to receive the blessing of God. There is only one qualification. God has no qualification. Could you imagine if God was like a university? You have to take an entrance exam to receive the grace of God. You had to take like a test just to receive the grace, grace of God. All of us would fail. You understand? And what if he made that test in Chinese? Okay, you have to pass a Chinese test to go to heaven. Then I'm going to hell because I don't speak Chinese. So the important thing is, God, there's only one qualification to receive the blessing of God. Just one. I'm going to talk about it. What is that qualification? So, for example, not too long ago, my wife, she had a very difficult heart. But what you have to understand is my wife don't like talking to me. My wife does not like talking to me. If she has a problem, she hides it from me and she goes and talks to somebody else. Now, she went to Pastor Youngu Park's office. She went to Youngu Park's office. I didn't even know she had a problem. Every time I talked to her, she's like, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine. Oh, hello, I'm fine, I'm fine. But then she went to Pastor Youngu Park's office and she started crying. She's like, yeah. and then Pastor Park says, all right, I'll wait till you finish crying. So, you know, women, you, know, you have to wait till women finish crying because when they talk, when they cry, you can't understand anything they say. Because when they talk, when they cry, like, and then I went, so you have to wait. You have to kind of calm down, wait, then they can speak English, right? So what happens is my after pastor, you know, part waited, and then she finally says, "I'm not qualified to be a pastor's wife." 
I don't love the gospel. I don't, you know, love the church. I'm not diligent. I don't know the Bible. I cannot preach the gospel. I'm not qualified to be a pastor's wife. When I look at other pastor's wives, they have so much energy. When I have me, I just want to go to sleep. I don't have the same heart. I don't, I'm not qualified to be a pastor's wife. And then Pastor Ingo says, are you finished? He's like, yeah. And then Pastor Ingo says, do you know in our mission, there's only one qualification to be a pastor's wife. Your husband has to be a pastor. That's it. You understand what I'm saying? The meaning of pastor's wife means your husband is a pastor. So in our mission, there's actually only one qualification. To be a pastor's wife, your husband has to be a pastor. Everybody understand? So everyone, to receive the blessing of God, there's only one qualification. You know what that is? Faith. That's it. Believe the word of God. And the word of God is going to work. Everybody understand? It doesn't matter if I'm Indian. It doesn't matter if I'm American. It doesn't matter if I'm smart or if I'm stupid. It doesn't matter if I'm fat or am I skinny. The word only has one qualification. When we accept the word exactly as it is and we believe that word, that word will give us new strength. That's the only qualification. Everyone, this is what we call grace. Why? It doesn't matter how I live. Even if I didn't live by faith for 70 years, for 70 years, I deny God. For 70 years, I spit on God. But if I believe the word now, that word is going to work. That is the only qualification for the word of God. So when John Toy looked, there was only one way God prepared for him. And that was the word of God. Why does God work that way? Isn't it better to have many options instead of one? Whenever we work and we solve a problem, whenever we go and we face a situation, whether it's at work or whether it's at the house, it's better to have more than one solution to just have only one solution. We are so programmed, we want many options. Just in case this one doesn't work, then we can use that one. Just in case this is not enough, then we want to use that one. But the way God works is he only leaves one way, one option. And there's a reason why there's only one option. Because God is the best option. There is no other greater option than God. Number one, nobody loves us more than God loves us. Nobody can do, with God, all things are possible, right? With human beings, nothing is possible. Everything's impossible. Nothing is possible with man. Therefore, God doesn't want us to trust something that cannot do anything for us. God is the only one. God is the only one that can do anything he wants, that can do everything he wants. Because he is the only one that has all the power. So when God blocks off everything, it is to give us the only option, which is the only true option, which is God. So when I thought about this, this law about judging this woman who had an issue of blood 12 years, in my mind, I'm thinking, actually, this law is not necessary. How many people in this whole history of the world do you know had this problem? So far, I only know one. That's the one that we just read about here in the Bible, right? But the interesting thing is, when I look at it, there's no value to having this law amongst the 613. There's only 613 spaces. God wasted a space with this law. He could have put something else in there. He could have put, that's my opinion. But the beautiful thing is, what I felt is, God knew that this woman was going to have an issue of blood. God knew that this woman is going to have to meet Jesus one day. So what did God do? God put this law in there, and it seems like it just 
just feels like it was only for her. Because obviously, I mean, of course, of course, there are other people who have had the issue of blood. Of course, there are other people who has had this disease or otherwise it probably wouldn't be in the Bible. But from what I've seen in this Bible, I've seen many lepers. I've seen many blind people. I've seen many crippled people. It talks about many of them. In the Bible, it only talks about one person I know of that had an issue of blood, only that woman. But just for that woman, God included this law so that this woman could be cleansed. Everybody understand? You know, I used to think, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery. How come God included all the laws that I broke? That's just not right. Why can't God include, like, thou shalt, like, not eat vegetables? That would have been awesome. If you eat vegetables, you're a sinner. I could easily keep that law. I would love to keep that law. That law in my heart would match so perfectly. Uh, thou shalt eat one ice cream every day. Are you kidding me? That law would be happy for me to keep, right? Thou shalt eat one hamburger once a month. I mean, if God did that, I have no problem going to heaven. But why does God put the law, everything I broke, he put it in the law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Oh, my God. Thou shalt not steal. Dude, I did that a many times. Thou shalt not hate. Oh, my God. This is like finished hating someone 10 minutes ago. How come God chose all the things that I can't do as the law? That just doesn't, that doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem right. But then you think about it, God included those laws. So what? Because if I was not knowing my own image, you know, you have to understand, in everybody's body, there are cancer cells right now. Everybody has cancer. The only reason why we are not dying from this cancer is because our immune system creates something called NK cells, which is natural killer cells. These natural killer cells eliminate the cancer so that it keeps it at a ratio where the cancer cells are not overtaking the body. So everybody already has cancer, everyone. You just don't know it. But then the thing is, when you start to realize it, that is when you can treat it, right? If you don't ever know that you have cancer, you will never treat it. Everyone, we were born with sin. We were born evil. We were born with a heart that goes in the opposite direction. If God didn't condemn us, if God didn't judge us, then we would never even know and go to hell not knowing what went on. We would go to hell and go, dude, I didn't know committing adultery is bad. Why didn't you tell me that? That's how we would go to hell. But God, knowing who we are, he gave us the law and he drew the line. And then the third thing is, you have to understand, when God says keep the law, it's different than what we think. It's very different than what we think. Thou shalt commit adultery. Everyone, I've been married since 2002. I have never cheated on my wife, not even once. So I never committed adultery, right? But then Jesus throws a curveball. That's right. Jesus is a baseball player. He loves to throw curveballs. He says, even if you look at a woman and lust after, you already committed adultery in your heart. I'm like, dude, that is just not fair. That, I didn't even do it. But then Jesus comes with this new adjustment, this new amendment to the law. That even if you look at a woman and go, mm, that's already adultery. Every time you watch like a movie and the handsome man comes out, yeah, you girls, I'm not talking about just guys, right? You girls are saying, when you see the handsome man, go, oh my God, he's the handsome. That's adultery. So God threw that out. Now, now keeping the law and not keeping the law is different. Now, even if we think it, we broke it. So everyone, this is ridiculous, right? But then if you think about it, God made it so that nobody can escape. There is nobody who can escape the judgment of God. There is nobody who has outperformed. No, you cannot run. So basically, 
God put us. He put us like cattle in a pen with fences. He fenced us into where there's only one place to go. In ranching terms, it's called a corral. A corral is the course. So you have these cows that come in from the field, and then you have the horse guy, the wrangler. He'll come in, he'll start whipping, he'll start, you know, hitting them, and he'll have the dogs put them into this pen. But to move them from the pen indoors, you cannot just do it. You cannot pull one by one. Sometimes the cow don't want to move. So what do you do? You have a corral. So what you put them in this big, one big gathering area, and then you start pushing them forward. Well, when you push them forward, it's blocked by gates. So there's only one path. And then when they come there, you close the path behind them. So you corral them. To corral the, uh, the cows is to gather them into one place where they cannot escape. One cannot wander off and one cannot do this while you're dealing with something else. So then you force them to go this course until they end up inside of the barn where you wanted them to go. So God has created this law and it has corralled us. And it has not corralled us to a negative place where God is not a wrangler who's corralling you know, cows because he want to make steak. God is corralling us because he wants us to go to the only place where we can receive grace, where we can receive the righteousness of God, where we can receive and have God start to work instead of us. That is the way that God leads us. So this woman was an issue of blood for 12 years. Why did she come to Jesus? She came to Jesus because she has no other hope. Anything she touches becomes unclean. Anyone who touches her becomes unclean. She has no other way to go but to go to Jesus Christ. And then I want to talk about how God works. So according to the law that we just read in Leviticus chapter 15, whoever this woman touches becomes unclean. Am I right? There's a reason for this. Now, the reason for this is very, very simple. When you have, you have two different righteousness, okay? So there's the righteousness of man, and then there's the righteousness of God. Now, my righteousness is very, very fragile. Because the moment sin touches my righteousness, I become a sinner. That's just how it works. Like, for example, I'm wearing a nice white dress shirt, right? This is called a dress shirt. In Korean, they call it white shasta. White shasta means white dress shirt, okay? So this is a dress shirt. You know what is the worst shirt to wear when you're eating? This. This is the dumbest choice to eat dinner or any food with when you eat. So in Korea, they have these things called jajangmyeon. Now, jajangmyeon, I'm going to explain it to you. Jajangmyeon, I'm pretty sure in India, India, you have Chinese restaurants, right? Because China is everywhere. Chinese people are everywhere all over the world. Yeah, basically, they conquered the world by in, you know, immigration. So basically, you have Chinese people probably in India, and then there's Chinese restaurants probably in India. But I can tell you right now, the Chinese restaurants that are in India don't taste like the Chinese restaurants in China because they adjusted to the general population. So the taste is adjusted so that Indian people and other people will come to this restaurant. Because if you go to China, you're going to lose a lot of weight because Chinese food is really hard to eat unless you're Chinese. I've been there. I've been there many times. That food is very difficult to eat. Anyway, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to complain about China because they already started something else that I want to talk about. So here we go. Now, when – what was I talking about? Now I got so upset at China. I forgot what I was going to talk about. <clears throat> what was I talking about? Too. Anyway, so what happens is, so when this woman – now I have to go back to the story because I totally forgot my thought. Now, so in China, when they have this food, they, you know, it's a different culture. Everything is different. What? What? Jajamyeon and the white shirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. So the Jajamyeon in Korean restaurant, 
Now, this is noodles with black Chinese sauce. So we call it Chinese spaghetti. That's the nickname I used to give it. Now, what happens is when you suck the noodle, right? The noodle, especially when it starts to get to the end, it starts to wiggle. It starts to flop, right? And it kicks sauce everywhere. So what you do is you have to cut the noodle. Don't slurp the noodle. If you slurp the noodle, you get sauce everywhere. You have to cut the noodle with your lips and your teeth, right? So once we were going, it was in Korea. We had a huge concert at the indoor baseball stadium. 25,000 people are coming to the concert at the World Camp. 25,000. And I'm the MC. And about 40 minutes before we start, we have to eat dinner. Now, when we eat dinner, it was the Chinese jajangmyeon noodle. The problem is I was wearing a tuxedo with a white dress shirt here. So then I got through the whole meal. I ate everything. I cut the noodles perfectly like a surgeon. I was like, mmm, mmm. No, no food anywhere. I picked everything up. It was like perfect. No kimchi thing flying anywhere. And then the last spoon, I ate it. Nothing on my wear shirt. I was very proud of myself. I thought, dude, I'm the man. This is it. Perfect. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then all of a sudden, I had a tickle in my nose and I, hutch, and I sneezed and this black sauce went all over my white shirt. Everyone, if you've ever been to World Camp, you know that when you MC, they do a close-up from the chest up. And then the whole part that's exposed will have black news. Oh, my God. I was, like, panicking. I, like, swear I had to take my shirt off and, like, hand wash it because there's this black sauce all over my white shirt. Everyone, it doesn't matter if you get through the whole meal. Even if you get to the last spoon and one drop drops on your white shirt, it's dirty now. You can't use it. You can't go on stage with this. This is like the righteousness of man. No matter how long you've been righteous, no matter how many laws you kept, the moment you break one, you become completely filthy. You become completely dirty. You become judged by God. You become a sinner. This is the righteousness of man. This is basically trying to go to heaven. It's like walking through hot spaghetti sauce with nothing but white clothes on. It's impossible not to get dirty. So the thing is, God wanted to change it this time. So what did God do? God talked about something else. Now we're going to look at Romans <clears throat> chapter 3. And so this is the beautiful thing about the Bible. The Bible is like a treasure hunt. The Bible is like a scavenger hunt. You go here, you go there, you learn this part, this part, and they all connect. But we're going to go to Romans chapter 3, and I'm going to read you verse 20 and verse 21. Okay. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, and verse 21. Okay, so here we go. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Okay, we know this so far, right? Now, verse 21. <clears throat> Let's read it together. You don't have to unmute it. Just don't unmute. Just read it together uh, in yourself. Okay, we're going to read verse 21 together. Everybody ready? One, two, three. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. So now they're talking about a different righteousness. This righteousness is without the law. This righteousness is beyond the law. Everybody understand? Now, why is this important? So my mother is Korean and my father is American. But when I was born, I was born... American. My father was an American citizen. I was born, I think, on a military base. I'm not sure. I, I don't even remember. All I know is I came out to the world. So all I know is when I was born, I was born with an American citizenship. Now, in Korea, in Korea, they have a law. 
all Korean men must go to the military for two or three years. They can't escape it. Unless you have only two fingers or you're missing 10 teeth or like you're mentally handicapped and you see visions, unless you're kind of weird, every man has to go to the army for two or three years. It's called mandatory military service. Now in America, it's volunteer. I can go if I want to go and I don't have to go if I don't want to go. Now, the interesting thing is my mother was a Korean citizen. Now she immigrated to the United States and now she's American, <clears throat> but she was born a Korean citizen. I was born in the country of South Korea, but I don't have to go to the army. <laughs> Why? Because I'm American citizen. And because I'm American citizen, their Korean law has nothing to do with me because I am without that law. I am outside of the Korean law. Korean law does not govern me because I'm governed by a different law. Everybody understand? So therefore, no matter what the Korean government chooses, I do not have to follow that law. Yes, I have 50% DNA in my body, but 50% of it is Korean. But that doesn't mean I have to serve Korean army. I don't need to go to the Korean army. When the Korean army makes an announcement, anybody who's 18 years old or 18, 21 years and older, come to the army right now. I can just sit on my couch. Why? Because I'm an American citizen. My government, I'm outside of that law. Now, the righteousness of man is under the law. So therefore, when the righteousness of man defies the law, that law becomes unrighteousness. You know what I mean? The righteousness becomes unrighteousness. Why? Because when the law condemns us as sinners, we become sinners. That is the limit of man's righteousness. So now God knew that we're going to sin until the day we die. God knew the sin is going to come out tomorrow, next week, next month, next year. So what did God do this time? God prepared a righteousness apart from the law. God prepared a righteousness that does not obey the same principles as man's righteousness. This is a different righteousness. It's a different kind of righteousness. This is God's righteousness. Now, we're going to explain it to you. God's righteousness, how is it different? Well, if you go back to Mark chapter 5, we're going to discuss exactly what this is talking about. Now, we read already Leviticus chapter 15. Now, in Leviticus chapter 15, it is very clear. This woman who has an issue of blood, if she touches somebody, that person becomes unclean. Yes? Therefore, why? Because that man has man's righteousness. Because that man has man's righteousness, when this filthy woman touches that man, just like the law says, this is God's standard. Law says, if she touches that man, that man now becomes unclean. His righteousness becomes unrighteousness. That means bound by the law. This is different. This woman touches Jesus Christ. So by the law, Jesus is now supposed to be unclean. This woman touched Jesus' clothes. That's how she was healed. But by the law, according to Moses' law, now Jesus is supposed to be unclean. But Jesus did not become unclean. In fact, when she touched Jesus, Jesus' righteousness made her clean. It's a different, different righteousness. God's righteousness does not obey the same principles that man's righteousness obeys. God's righteousness is above the law. Therefore, no matter what this law says, it cannot 
influence, it cannot take away the righteousness of God because God's righteousness is governed by something different. It is governed by the will of God. Therefore, the law cannot touch God's righteousness. So when this woman touched Jesus Christ's clothes, this woman could not make Jesus' righteousness unrighteous. She could not make Jesus unclean because of two things. Number one, God's righteousness is greater than our sin. The blood of Jesus is greater than our sin. The blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse us. It is like germs touching Clorox. If you take a cup of Clorox and you pour germs into it, all the germs are going to die the moment it enters the Clorox. Or if you have a, a water, if you have a cup of water with a lot of germs, bacteria in it, and you pour Clorox into it, the moment Clorox touches that worm, germ and water, all the germs die. It's the same thing. When sin touches God's righteousness, sin disappears. That is the difference between man's righteousness and God's righteousness. When God's righteousness touches something, it becomes clean, no matter what. It just becomes clean. That's the natural law of God's righteousness. So when this woman touched Jesus, she, she didn't make Jesus unclean. Jesus' righteousness made her clean. It's a different righteousness. But then, we're going to go one more time in the Bible. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to be reading verse 21. First, we'll read verse 17. First, we'll read verse 17, and then we're going to read verse 21. Okay? So I'll read verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we are a new creature in Christ. So what God did through Jesus Christ was he made us a new creature. We are different than before. The old me is passed away. There is no old Pastor Terry. Now, what does this mean? What is this new creature? This new creature is described in verse 21. Now, in verse 21, we're going to read it together. Read out loud or whatever. Don't unmute. Just read it. Verse 21. We're going to read together. Everybody ready? One, two, three. For he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Through Jesus Christ, there was an exchange. God removed my sin and put it on Jesus and made Jesus the sinner. But then God removed Jesus' righteousness and put it on who? You and me. Everyone, whose righteousness did God give us this time? It is not man's righteousness. It is God's righteousness. That is the righteousness that God gave me. So now I'm a new creature. I am not a human being. I'm not Pastor Terry with Pastor Terry's righteousness. I am Pastor Terry who is covered and given the gift of the righteousness of God. Therefore, how can I say I'm a sinner? I can't say I'm a sinner. God just showed me. He gave me his righteousness. So am I going to tell God, you know what, God, your righteousness is out of order. Sorry, it doesn't work. I tried it. It didn't work. I'm still a sinner. Everyone, that doesn't make sense, does it? Right? So basically, if you're saying you still have sin, you're telling me and you're telling God that Jesus didn't finish his job. Now, this is interesting. Now, when you die and you go before God, I don't know about you, but I ain't going to say I'm a sinner. 
I'm not going to be the one to tell Jesus, oh, by the way, Jesus, you lied. It isn't finished. My sin wasn't finished. I'm still a sinner. Okay. I, will, I, I definitely want to see that conversation. When someone comes up to Jesus and goes, Jesus, no, I'm still a sinner. I'm going to sit on the sideline and eat some popcorn and watch the drama that's about to unfold because I don't want to be that guy that talks about that. Uh-uh. I'm not going to be the guy that goes, God, you're lying. I still have sin. Mm-hmm. No, I'm not going to be in that conversation. I'm going to be on the side watching the fireworks erupt when that happens. I'm like, dude, that guy said Jesus didn't finish. I'm going to eat popcorn and watch it. Why? Because that's drama. You want to be the one that goes and tells Jesus, oh, by the way, Jesus, your blood wasn't enough. You want to be the one that goes to Jesus and say, oh, by the way, when you died on the cross, my sins still remain. Ha, ha, ha. You know, the trick's on you. I don't know about you, but I'm not going to be that guy. I know when Jesus says my sin is washed, that means my sin is washed. When God says he has given me his righteousness, that righteousness is eternal righteousness. Why? God is eternal. Amen? If God is eternal, that's another difference between man's righteousness and my righteousness. Man's righteousness is not eternal. God's righteousness is eternal. So when God gave us his righteousness, his righteousness, my righteousness, it may look the same, but it's completely different. Everybody understand? Everyone, when I was a kid and I was in Korea, so <clears throat> actually it was when I was in missionary school. When I was in missionary school, there was a, a member of our church he saw that my shoes were kind of getting old. So this member of the church wanted to buy me some shoes. Now, I didn't ask him to buy me some shoes, but he looked at me and goes, you know what, I want to buy this missionary student some shoes. So he went and he bought me some shoes. And when he bought me some shoes, he was very proud of those shoes. He's like, oh, I bought you very good shoes, and they were on sale. They were only $20, but they are the Nikes. You know Nike, American Nike? Nike's very good, right? This is Nike. And I opened the, I opened the box. It's not Nike. They were called Mikeys. They're like, they're imitation shoes, okay? So the Nike has one swoosh. This one had two. <laughs> this one had two swooshes. And on the it's, it's the same font. The, the, the color is the same. It looks the same. But then the, even the, the, the trademark, the, the label is written in the same font. Like same, but it's Mikey, not Nike. It's Mikey with an M. So everyone, it may look the same, but it is an imitation, right? It's different. So in the same way, our righteousness and God's righteousness, they may look the same. It may sound the same. Righteousness, righteousness. But God's righteousness is completely different than man's righteousness. The righteousness that God gave us was his righteousness. So it's like this, okay? Now, you are, all of you are in India. So when, I, when you hear the word breakfast, you understand what I'm saying, right? Breakfast is the meal you eat in the morning, right? Okay? So when I say breakfast, you know it's in the morning, and you know I'm talking about food. But that right there is the end of where we think about the same thing. Because when I say breakfast, what pops in your mind? The food you eat in India. You understand what I'm saying? When I say breakfast, you're imagining the food you usually eat in India, right? When I say breakfast, an American here, you know what American thinks about? Pancakes, cereal, bacon, and then sausage, and then you know, cheese and eggs like milk and orange juice, right? And coffee. So when a Korean person hears breakfast, the Korean person thinks of, oh, rice and soup and kimchi and fish. Everyone, even though I say the same word, but what pops in your head and what you see in your head is different, right? Same thing. When God says righteousness, the righteousness God is thinking about and the righteousness that you're thinking about are two completely different things. 
When God thinks about righteousness, he thinks about eternal. When God thinks about righteousness, he thinks about his righteousness. When we hear the word righteous, we think, oh, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to keep stop, stop myself from sinning. I have to work hard. I have to be sincere. That is our idea of righteousness. Our idea of righteousness does nothing but block God's righteousness from entering into my heart. Why? Because I'm thinking about something completely different. So that is why God says, in order to follow me, we have to deny myself. Deny myself, it doesn't mean stop lying. Okay? First of all, no one can stop themselves from lying. And after you get married, you definitely cannot stop yourself from lying. It's mandatory. That's the only way you survive more than five days. Understand? So if my wife comes in with a new funky haircut, got all kinds of, she looked like she got in a fight with a curling iron. She asked me, how does my hair look? I want to eat. So I'm going to say beautiful no matter what. You understand? I want breakfast the next morning. I'm not going to tell her what I really think. You know, what she really thinks, she looks like, you know, she looks like she's like a dead Michael Jackson that got resurrected. I'm not going to tell her that, though. What I'm going to tell her is, oh, you're beautiful. Oh, every, I didn't marry you for your hair. Everyone, you cannot stop. Deny yourself doesn't mean, like, don't do the things that you don't want. You know, it doesn't mean, like, hey, you cannot do this. Don't smoke. Don't go out and watch movies. Don't listen to music. Deny yourself means it doesn't matter how correct I think it is. It doesn't matter what pops up in my mind. The only important thing is, what is God talking about? What is God's heart? If God says I'm righteous, then what righteousness is he talking about? He's not talking about man's righteousness because man's righteousness will become dirty again. God is talking about a righteousness that does not quit. God's talking about a righteousness that does not end. God is talking about a righteousness that is above the law, beyond the law, doesn't follow the same principles as the law. If you follow the same principles under the law, everybody becomes a sinner. The law was actually designed to judge people as a sinner. The law was not designed to send you to heaven. The law was not designed to make you worthy enough to go to heaven. The law told you, don't do this or don't do that. The law did not give you the power to do this or that. It only tells you, don't do this, don't do that. So the only thing the law does was condemn you for breaking it. So the whole purpose of the law was to design to just show you that you are a sinner so that we would be corralled to the only source of righteousness, true righteousness, and that is Jesus Christ. And when we meet Jesus Christ and when we touch Jesus' righteousness, that righteousness passes on to me and there will be no sin that can remain. Why? Because God's righteousness erases all sin. God's righteousness cleanses us from all iniquity. So everyone, what God is telling us here, this woman who touched Jesus Christ, she was cleansed. Not only was she cleansed, but she was made whole. Am I right? She was clean. She was healed and she was clean. But most importantly, she was able to receive the righteousness of God that made her righteous eternally. Everybody understand? Eternally. So everyone, when you think about what is in this Bible, just like I told you, when you prepare a wedding, the wedding that has more preparations, it signifies what? Deep thought. It signifies how much more heart was poured into the preparation. When God saved us, how detailed God was when he thought about the law. Every law that was written in the law was to condemn us step by step to bring us to the only source that can make us eternally, eternally righteous, Jesus Christ. 
this woman with an issue of blood for 12 years. I'm pretty sure when she had this issue of blood, she probably cried every day. She probably prayed every day. Please take this disease away from me. Please take this disease away from me. God waited 12 years. Why? Because that is when she would meet Jesus. So everyone, God did not listen to that prayer. God gave her that difficulty until when? Until she met Jesus and received the eternal righteousness of God. That was what God really wanted. That was the real blessing. That was the real grace. You understand, everyone? So this woman had no other choice but to meet Jesus. When you think about how perfectly God planned everything, how beautifully God led this woman for only one purpose, that was to receive the eternal righteousness that God prepared for her. Everyone, God doesn't just say that we're righteous. God meticulously and in very great detail prepared every step, did every requirement, set every standard, and had Jesus do every single thing on the checklist so that there is no way on earth that we cannot be righteous. We only have one choice. We are righteous. There is no other choice. That is how perfectly God worked. That is how perfectly Jesus worked. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Sabbath means all the work has been done. Now it is time to rest. Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath means nothing else but that Jesus perfectly washed us. Jesus perfectly fulfilled every requirement that God had to make us righteous. Therefore, we can go to heaven boldly and in faith saying that we are righteous because Jesus Christ gave us the righteousness of God. There is no other choice, everyone. It's either you are righteous or Jesus failed. It is either you are eternally righteous or God lied. It cannot be both true. You cannot be a righteous sinner. That's like saying I am a, a dog cat. You cannot be half cat and half dog. Those things do not exist. So the important thing is you cannot be righteous and you cannot be a sinner. You're either a sinner or you're righteous. If you're a sinner, Jesus failed. And I tell you, Jesus never failed. Now, if you want to go to heaven and you want to face Jesus face to face with the scars in his hand and tell him that he failed, mm-hmm, because he might be my guest. That's all up to you. It's a free country. You can say whatever you want to say. I'm just going to be on the sideline eating popcorn and watching you scream, gnash your teeth all the way down to the lake of fire. So the important thing is God did not fail, everyone. God succeeded. Jesus Christ made us not just righteous, but gave us the righteousness of God. And that righteousness is beyond the law, beyond my works, beyond my limitations. And it doesn't follow the same principles of man's righteousness. Man's righteousness is not eternal. God's righteousness is eternal. The moment sin touches man's righteousness, man's righteousness becomes dirty. Sin touches God's righteousness, that sin becomes clean. Everyone, this is a different righteousness, and that is the righteousness that God gave all men. So when we are able to accept this word into our heart, then we will see God begin to change our life. Like I told you, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done until now. There's only one qualification to witness the work of God, to witness, to receive the power of God, that is to believe it, accept it, and believe it, and that word of God will change your life. So thank you very much, everyone. I'm going to finish here. Let us pray. <clears throat> Dear God, you have given us this perfect salvation. Lord, if this salvation were not ready, you would have never written the Bible. If this salvation were not really completed, then Jesus never would have said on the cross, it is finished. 
Jesus said it is finished on the cross because he clearly and surely fulfilled everything so that we can clearly say with boldness that we are washed from our sin. Our sin has been ended on the cross. And Lord, you didn't just give us any righteousness, but you gave us your righteousness. God, we truly thank you for the blessings that you have given us. God, there is no other way but to believe in your word. And Lord, we ask that no matter who it is today, that you plant that word inside of our heart and let us only exalt the word in our heart. God, we truly thank you for this time. During this coronavirus, even though it seems very bleak and very despairing outside, but Lord, no matter what it is, it is you who allowed this situation. It is you who is going to work through this. And then we may not see it now, but we will be able to see the great plan of God and we will see all the amazing works of God that are going to happen all around the world through this situation. God, you are going to flip this world around so that the gospel will be able to be preached to every corner. But we can see that not so many people right now who never even thought about death are thinking about death right now. Lord, it may seem like a harsh, difficult, bad thing. But Lord, we can see that you know, in the Bible, it says that it's better for a young man to go to a funeral than a wedding. To think about God, to think about the spirit, Lord, that is more precious than anything else. So God, I know that you're preparing many people to be able to hear this gospel. So Lord, I pray that even during this coronavirus, please open ways that we can preach the gospel to these people before they die, preach the gospel you know, before it's too late. So God, I pray that you will work strongly and powerfully through each one of our brothers and sisters, whether it's in India, Korea, Japan, China, it doesn't matter. Lord, I pray that you will continually preach this gospel through our brothers and sisters to the end of the world. God, we truly thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Thank you so much. And I'm busy. I got to go to the